Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Not So Native Podcast. Let me introduce your host. My name is Rob Lamb. And I'm Aaron Bailey. Kick back and let us take you on a journey as we explore some of Arizona's most fascinating people, places, and things to do. Are you ready? Trying to get my tax documents together. Why so early? It's not the end of the year. Well, that's what my friends at MLR Professional Tax and Accounting said I should do. And they gave me this nice document holder to put them in to make it easier come tax time. Sounds like a big job. And that's why I trust my friends at MLR Professional Tax and Accounting Service. Call them today, 623-505-7141 or mlrprotaxservice.com. Welcome back. I'm Aaron. And I'm Rob. Not so native podcast. We are here at Marshall. Yourself in yeah, the title. Yeah. I'm Timothy Bell. I'm the director of community engagement here. So, as a, well, appreciate having us out. And then, uh, the, we just talked about the urban, urban laboratory. Urban laboratory. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you guys making the trip out. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, first question we start with then is uh, native or not so? Not so. Uh, yeah, born and raised in Joshua Tree, California. Okay. Uh, my parents are probably part of the, the first big wave. them out sure. and so we moved to Prescott um, in the time that I've been here I've seen Prescott grow from a town of about 30,000 to a town of close to 90,000 wow. um, I think 200,000 when you count the clerks plots in the area We fell in love and she lived here and um, I thought it was a pretty cool project. So I started volunteering my time here um, and then eventually was brought on as a staff member and then eventually placed in the position that I'm in right now. Uh, and uh, but I guess the longer short version is that I lived in New York prior to living here. I was in L.A. prior to that. I had a stint in Japan. And so I, yeah, I've traveled a lot of the world and I've seen a lot of different ways that people live and I've seen a lot of different types of cities and urban environments. And I, I love cities. I just think that, you know, cities provide this access to culture and people and sure. um, interesting experiences that are really hard to get outside of a city. At the same time, living in a city always felt a little bit claustrophobic to me or um, there was an element of city living that uh, didn't ring true or didn't feel comfortable, maybe is a better way to put that. And so when I've discovered Arcosati, the message resonated. And the message is really that there's the potential that we have dramatically underestimated our ability to define what a city should be. You know, cities are really pretty new. Phoenix, Arizona is a great example of this. Right. Paulo Soleri landed there. Paulo Soleri is the founding architect here. And he landed there and. uh, 1956, 
he started working on his property at Cosanti, which is still there in Paradise okay. Valley. Paradise Valley, right. And, um, you know, he got there and uh, at that time, his nearest neighbor was two miles away. Um, right, a little bit different than it is now, right? Yeah. And so all that to say, all these cities, um, that, especially cities that we have in America, are really very new. And, um, you know, we basically built to accommodate a growing population. What Paulo Soleri was suggesting was that we should anticipate a growing population in the first place. And we should be trying to build cities that try to find a balance between people and nature so that people have access to all the culture that we get living in a city like Phoenix, but also have immediate access to all the nature that we crave living in a place like, you know, Cottonwood or uh, up here, out right by Mayor, Arizona, up in Prescott. Sure. Um, Flagstaff, you know, people obviously crave to occupy those two spaces. And Paulo Soleri, I think, thought that there'd be a way to offer both. So that's kind of what the whole philosophy here encompasses, is how to live better in cities. Sure, hmm. sure. Because he was a lecturer at uh, Arizona State for some time, right? He gave lectures all over the world. Okay. Yeah, yeah. he certainly was involved at Arizona State, but um, a large part of the way that they, they funded this whole project was basically Paulo Soleri doing speaking engagements and teaching classes, wow. selling bells, but we're a nonprofit. And despite that, they did very little fundraising for this project. Yeah. We're actually, for the first time, engaging in major fundraising uh, as of last year. Uh, and we've had some success in that. But yeah, it was basically single-handedly funded by Soleri himself, tuition for people to come out here and take educational workshops and contribute to building, and then selling bronze and ceramic bells for the last 50 years. Wow. So we should mention that Aaron and I are both ASU grads, so oh, that's, why we're, <laughs> that's why we tend to gravitate to the fact that he was a lecturer at ASU. But sure. uh, for those people who are coming to visit, uh, real quick on how to get here, it's I-17, either north or south, take Arcasante Boulevard, and then turn to the east and follow the road and the yeah. signs. And Arcosanti Road. Arcosanti Road, then you sorry. Hit, you hit a cattle guard, you hit a sign, and then you've got about a mile and a half down the worst dirt road you've ever seen. <laughs> but it's worth it, I promise you. It was fun in the Jeep. It wasn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So was Soleri a, uh, a student of Franklin Wright? Or? He was, yeah. That's actually how he ended up here. Um, okay. He came over, he had, he was, uh, Soleri was almost uh, the same age as Frank Lloyd Wright, um, oh. a, a little younger. Um, he came over to study under him after hearing his name. Soleri had a doctorate already in architecture from uh, Turin University and decided that he thought that Frank Lloyd Wright's work sounded pretty good. And so he came to, he actually landed in, you know, that classic immigrant story. He landed in uh, New York and we've got sketches of the New York City skyline in our, uh, in our archives by Soleri when he landed there. And then he came out here and he hopped on a bus and he said, I want to go to Taliesin. But his accent was so thick that they drove him to the wrong place. <laughs> and he got off the bus in the middle of nowhere and uh, had to find his way back. So he worked under Frank Lloyd Wright um, for about a year and a half, and then pretty quickly realized that uh, his points of view on the future of human development and architecture were pretty different from what Frank Lloyd Wright's mm. were. Frank Lloyd Wright was advocating for the idea of broad acre city, 
which is that everyone in America gets one square acre of land. You have sure. your carport, you've got your house, you've got your backyard and front yard and maybe a pool or whatever it is. And that's the modern day suburbs. That's the right. dream of the modern day suburbs. So Larry thought that that sounded like about the worst possible future for humans possible. You know, he came from a European background and in Europe, cities are dense and lively, you know, right. multiple stories and people interacting on sidewalks and people yelling up to each other in windows and, you know, <laughs> yeah. whole amphitheaters in the middle of a city and plazas. Anyone who's ever been to, you know, Florence or uh, Vienna or uh, um, Rome is familiar with these types of environments. And so Soleri thought, man, um, I need to put a different vision out there for the future of American cities. And so that was his vision, was um, a city basically built like a village um, that was mm -hmm. primarily walkable, um, that was dense, um, mm -hmm. certainly, um, that it allowed for a lot of interaction and engagement between the residents, but also acknowledging that cities can feel claustrophobic, especially when you live in the middle of a big city, right? If you're right. not living yeah. on the outskirts. Yeah. Putting a boundary around that city and saying the city can't grow any further. Like a city like Prescott is a good example of a city that continues to grow despite people moving there because they want access to nature, the more people that move there, the less nature you actually have around you. <laughs> I remember the first time I went to Lynx Lake, mm -hmm. it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, oh damn, I'm, I missed my turn. Yeah. And now it's turning Sam's Club. Yeah, nowadays <laughs> you can go around the corner, you can go to the back door of Costco and get yourself a sandwich so you can have a nice picnic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, so I think, um, Soleri thought that we should be building dense and up. He thought that we need to build these like complex, tall cities, not these wide, sprawling cities. Mm -hmm. And then that nature that was preserved around you, you could walk out your door and go check all that out. That having been said, Arcosanti is not that. We're way too small for what Soleri was proposing. Sure. This, if you wanted to think of it as anything, is really the corner, you know, five to 10% of what a larger complex built on these principles. Like a microcosm. Yeah, yeah, or a, um, a prototype, prototype. Like to call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is a prototype for something, you know, hopefully bigger and even more special. Sure, sure. Now, obviously, so we're outside, you can make it some wind noise, but beautiful day up here and we're in, we're in Mayor, right? Yeah, yeah, just outside of Mayor. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. What was the, was it the climate or, I mean, the scenery is beautiful right here. We got mm. the, the, the river and such behind us, but what was his kind of motivation for, for this spot and uh, where we're at now? Yeah, good question. Um, they started the nonprofit in 1965. Uh, uh, and gosh, I hope I got that date right because that would be awful if I did it. <laughs> check it. Yeah, check, check it on. Fact check. Yeah, fact check me on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not, by the way, we're not very formal. So, we're, so we're absolutely. I just hope crazy. my boss isn't listening. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're supposed to know these things. Yes, I am. And I, but uh, yes, I'm fairly confident it was 1965. Um, they started the nonprofit and uh, we started doing at Cosanti um, down in Paradise Valley, this, you know, they're looking at, okay, what are we talking about here? When we say architecture combined with ecology, what the heck is this? So down there, they ended up uh, getting a grant in the early days from the Xerox Corporation of all things oh, okay. um, yeah. to create a, uh, basically a city, you know, the idea of a city that would exist on a mesa called Mesa City. It was called the Mesa City Project. And it was never meant to be built. It was all conceptual. Sure. But so they designed, you know, these buildings. It actually kind of looks like the Jetsons. It's pretty cool. Oh. Um, designed these buildings to go on a mesa, take advantage of the wind and the sun on top of that mesa. And then when they looked at that and started looking at maybe trying to undertake 
their own project, you know, Solari's own project, they said, okay, well, we've got all this information about how to build a city on a mesa, you know, why don't we try to work on a similar concept since we've done all this research. Um, also access to water. Um, we've got an aquifer that we sit on top of here that we do a lot of work around protecting. Um, we add water back into the system through a lake that we have. Um, and then, um, you know, I think the, the climate, it's not as dramatic as Phoenix, right. um, but it's also not as cold as what you get in the northern part of the state. It's really sort of the ideal place for this type of project. Sure. sure. Right in the middle of the state, pretty mm -hmm. much. Yeah, yeah, central Arizona, <laughs> just the northern part of that sweet Sonoran Desert. Yeah, mm -hmm. just this side of Mingus Mountain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Tonight you're having a concert. How often do you guys have things at the venue? Usually we have nine to 12 events a year, and those events tend to be pretty diverse. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so classical music concert tonight, uh, in two weeks here, we're having a Shakespearean play, uh, Merchant of Venice, a local theater company from Prescott comes out and performs that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. The week after that, we're doing a, a dance theater uh, show uh, with Human Nature Dance Theater from Open Flagstaff. They're bringing down a uh, performance I, it's, uh, basically themed around being under the stars out here. And then after that, we have an event called Convergence Arcosani, which is an event hosted by a lot of the younger residents here. And that uh, looks a lot like a modern day festival blended with a conference on activism and sustainability and art um, and all kinds of fun things. Neat. Yeah. What, uh, can, can individuals just come up here and do arts and crafts or yeah. is it, yeah. is, do you have like classes that yeah. are taught or? We have workshops, so we've got a couple workshops on our calendar for the fall. Um, uh, a ceramics workshop, um, specifically around our type of ceramic. It's called silt casting, so it's you create an earthen mold. Mm -hmm. um, we're doing a metalworking workshop where people can come up and learn the basics of welding and metal cutting and grinding. Um, in the ho and then at the end of it, they assemble a piece uh, of their own. Uh, we're doing a photography workshop site's very photogenic, obviously. Uh, we're doing sort of a week-long experience where people can come and take some classes, dabble in all the elements of the place, really weave kind of feeling like they understand what's happening here. And do they live here for that one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And people can also come up and stay overnight basically any time of year. We have right now three Airbnbs and uh, half a dozen guest rooms, or sorry, a dozen guest rooms. Uh, the guest rooms are pretty, I like to call them kind of like an off-grid hostel. So if you're like the adventurous type, they're a great option for you. Uh -huh. um, you know, they've got bathrooms and showers, of course, but they're located down a hill and uh, uh, pretty fun, actually. The you Airbnbs kind of get are, off the grid. Yeah, yeah, kind of disconnect. Yeah, 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 rooms. perfect. The Airbnbs are up here on the main site. Um, they tend to be a little more accessible, friendly to the elderly and people who might have mobility issues. Sure. Because we try to remain, obviously, you guys can't see this uh, out there in the the internet world, but there's a lot of stairs here. Right. Um, we have accessible tours of the site, but still, you know, you're going to bump into a stair. So we try to remain as accessible as possible through our programming and the places that people can visit the site um, until we get a you know a grant to redo our staircases <laughs> or or a major funder. There you go. Yeah. You go. <laughs> do Do you guys with these um, is can you go on the website and register for one of the hostels? Is that how you do that? Yeah, or? you can go on the website or call in. 
call in? Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're open seven days a week. Um, we're open to the public. Nine to five, seven days a week? Nine to five, unless you're staying overnight, in which case you're one of the few who gets to see what the stars look like out here, which is sure. really kind yeah. of special. I imagine beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, it's obviously no AC, right? Mm-hmm. So, and you mentioned aquifer, electricity-wise, is it renewable or, or how? No, so uh, it's important to keep in mind that when this site was being developed, um, solar energy uh, wasn't even a technology that was out in existence. Sure. Um, we'd love to have more solar here. Right now, we've got a few dozen panels across the site, primarily actually working on the water systems because water tends to be pretty energy intensive. Sure. Um, it up. Pumping it up the hill, um, you know, not heating it, uh, mm. all the things that you do with water resources. Um, but uh, one of the elements of the philosophy was really the idea that um, instead of trying to offset heavy energy use, you should be trying to find ways to limit energy use in the first place. Mm. So one of the elements you'll see here as you walk around is a lot of our workspaces are actually open air concept. Yeah. That does two things. You don't have to turn on lights in there because you're working outdoors most of the day. Right. And then also you don't have to use air conditioning or heat because um, the way they're oriented, they take advantage of the sun, they take advantage of the wind up here. And so it helps keep them a little cooler during the summer, uh, a little warmer during the winter. It's not perfect. And there's certainly amount um, amount of acclimation that we have to make to sort of be able to exist, I think, in harmony with the elements up here. Naturally. But yeah. uh, the buildings really do a lot of the work for us. Yeah, they look like they're they're definitely thickly built, like oh, yeah. concrete slabs that are about about eight inches thick. The Typically walls six to eight inches is what you're. Yeah, looking at. yeah, that's that ice block style that they try to do down there in uh, Scottsdale, North Scottsdale. Oh yeah, they're they're putting the the concrete slabs and then they're putting styrofoam insulation on either side. Yeah, that's actually what we're uh, so. We're sitting under a building right now that uh, is two stories tall. And what it's missing is the third story. That's where we were when the recession hit. Um, and I'm sure oh, everyone, wow. I don't think, I think Arizonans probably remember the recession oh, more yes. than anyone else in this country sure, because sure. so much of our economy is powered by development out here. Um, so we were there and we're a nonprofit construction site. So you guys can imagine yeah. uh, there wasn't a lot of movement through the recession on getting the third story constructed there. Good thing about that is now on the other end of all this, there's a lot of technology out there for concrete that would make us, allow us to develop, you know, lightweight insulated panels, probably a lot better than what we've got here already. Definitely a lot better. And that's what they were always hoping for. You know, they basically put out a future model and they said, we don't know how you would do this, but this is an idea. And so they were always kind of hoping that technology would catch up to the image that they'd laid out for Arco Santi and for this type of development in general. Um, and we're we're getting there, which is really exciting. And it goes back to the laboratory thing, mm-hmm. right? Of just continuing to try things that aren't damaging to the environment, or at least you don't hope that you hope that they're not damaging to the environment, but yeah. also trying to make life better for yourself at the same time. Yeah, or that, <laughs> or that if they are, because you know it's it's really hard to live on the land without harming the land in some way. Sure. But if they are going to be damaging to the environment, because we do have to occupy space, we're, you know, we're creatures on this planet also, but that there's a justifiable trade-off for that damage that we're causing. Sure. Um, something that I like to talk about here is that, you know, they always sort of said, uh, 
there's this you know this idea that Arcosanti isn't finished out there um, because the original vision they laid out here was about 500 people, then they bumped it up to 1,500, and then eventually they said 5,000 people living on a mesa in Arizona. Well, I mean, what that really was was good advertising because they were sure. trying to get people continually engaged, sure. and I think they hoped, but it was a, it was a stretch. That having been said, we're trying something different here, and I think one of the interesting things about humans is we're always so much more willing to critique things that are trying to be different than we are to critique existing systems that we know aren't working. Mm. So I think what we're really trying to do up here is just be different. Not say to anyone, you're doing it wrong, you know, you're sure. something wrong with no, you. No judgment. No judgment. We're just trying yeah. to do something a little different. Yeah. So, And most yeah. people seem to recognize that. It's yeah. amazing to me. You know, I give a lot of tours here. And, uh, you know, everyone from like people who live down in Scottsdale and, you know, have traditional jobs and families and to people who live out of their vans just passing through. Sure. You know, you see a lot of really positive reaction to what we do. Sure. It's not without its detractors for sure. So, but it's, uh, you know, I think a lot more of our, our day is spent feeling appreciated for this work than not. Yeah, I definitely think that you're, you're onto something about the, you're trying to do something different that everybody's gonna be critical. Mm -hmm. or, or, Hey there, podcast fans. Are you a native or not so native to Arizona? Looking for your first home? Wanting to upgrade, downsize, or relocate in Arizona? Need a trusted professional to help you sell? Call our friend Michelle Gallegos, a fourth-generation native Arizonan and a realtor with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, Arizona Properties, 602-410-6887. Serving the real estate needs of both natives and not-so-natives alike, 602-410-6887. Michelle Gallegos. The ground a little bit, you mentioned conservation, you mentioned the rivers. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of touch on that, say, say that again, because I, I found it very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm not so native, uh, but I have a lot of Arizona pride. Um, I think it's important to have pride in, uh, you know, your state and in your land. And something I want to acknowledge is that, you know, this is not my land. This, you know, if we're going to acknowledge the first settlers here, we're talk talking the Hopi, the Hohokam, and the Anasazi. Actually, we have a... Uh, um, uh, we've got a site up here where they think that there were about 150 people dwelling um, from uh, potentially the, I think the Hohokam. Uh, yeah, like you know, the uh, same same groups like uh, the Montezuma Well yeah. and all that stuff that's up in this area. Yeah, actually mm -hmm. some uh, doctoral students from Flagstaff, they got their doctorate coming and helping excavate our site here. Oh, wow. Um, Fascinating. Yeah. And we also have a, a huge collection of petroglyphs out here um, on the property, which is really kind of cool. Um but uh, yeah, so, you know, acknowledging that to be a native here or to be, I think, a, even not so native, I think is to appreciate the landscape, right? No, I mean, we have the most beautiful state in the 50 states. I don't care who you are. Uh, you're going to, it's going to be hard to beat the difference between, you know, Tucson and Southern Arizona and you hit Flagstaff and the diversity, the diversity. is just amazing. And yeah. then, and then the sand dunes out near. Oh yeah. The great uh, the sand dunes. Southwest. Get out to the petrified forest. I mean. You know, I'll, I'll throw down with anyone who wants to Absolutely. put their state over this. Agreed. That, you know, that having been said, um, there's a lot of elements of uh, damage uh, to this state, including our waterways that are really, I think, troubling and that we have, we have to think about um, as people who live here. Uh, we had six rivers in Arizona up until 1950. We're down to about two and a half. 
Um, and those rivers, basically, a lot of that was done through overtapping of our uh, the uh, aquifers, the big groundwater deposits that we all get to draw from on a day-to-day basis. Those aquifers feed those rivers, and if we don't give them the time to recharge that they need, then we lose that water resource. Sure. And we'll be okay, right? I mean, I think one of the ideas right now that they're fielding seriously is that uh, when Arizona runs out of water, we'll trench the Mississippi over here, which would, of course, <laughs> deal with flooding over there, which is caused because we're not letting the Mississippi do its thing. Right. Um, we'll be okay. Because people want to live near it, but yeah. not on it. Yeah. And not under it. <laughs> so we'll be fine. But we'll also potentially lose 70% of our native plants and animals uh, because they live in those green waterways provided by those rivers. So, you know, it's really a question of what makes us Arizona. I think that it is this landscape. And if we lose those elements of it, then uh, we're going to have to do some soul searching to figure out what what comes next. Agreed. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely like to go play in those rivers, so. Yeah, The rivers absolutely. that we have left. Like, My gosh, I mean, uh, is there anything better than, like, popping up and, you know, jumping in the water and up in uh, Cornville or, you know... It's just... j- jumping in uh, the, the Verde yeah. and then to the south, southeast, mm-hmm. you've got the Gila. Yeah. That's still swimmable. And also the, the salt yeah. coming out of the Salt River Canyon. Yeah, Down yeah. from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, when I say, because uh, there will be people who go, oh, but there's all these rivers... What we're talking about when we say the number of rivers is we're talking about erosion of the actual waterways itself. So when you look at the number of waterways we had versus the number of waterways we had have now, that's what we're looking at. Okay. So a lot of these rivers are half alive or a quarter alive or a tenth alive. You know? Sure. But they're shrinking uh, more and more. And it should be noted that we've done some really good work, I think, in this. I'd, I'd encourage you guys. Actually, it might be an interesting trip for you. Uh, the 90, I think it's the 92nd Street Wastewater Treatment Facility mm. in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. My God, what an undertaking of infrastructure. It deals with half yeah. of the water from Phoenix every single day. Mm. And as part of their project there, they have created all the effluent gets diverted to a man-made wetland. And that wetland was built mm. by the Army Corps of Engineers. And then that water is put back into the Salt River on the other side of Phoenix. So mm. there's ways On the that south side or on the east side? It's, it's on the uh, south side. Okay. Yeah, so it's yeah. worth. It's really worth the trip. It's it's quite an incredible thing to see. I, I think I've uh, seen some of this. It flows into the Tolleson and Goodyear area. Yeah, towards, yeah, out, uh, out by where there's some agriculture down yeah, there Yeah, still. yeah, yeah, down near Buckeye and all mm. that. Yeah, it, uh, it, it makes Trace Rios. Mm, yes, the Trace Rios waterway. Trace, yeah. Trace Rios, That's yeah. actually, I think the wetlands is called Trace Rios. <clears throat> yeah, so. yeah, it's very fascinating. My, my brother would go fishing there. Yep. Because by the time it dr- dr- drained through all the silt and sand and mm-hmm. all that, and the, the water got purified mm-hmm. through, because they don't, they don't clean it completely. Yeah. It's effluent, yep. and, but by the time it gets down yeah. stream, it's... It's looking pretty decent. And, yeah, they go. And they put fishing and fishing, hunting, and bird watching down there. Yeah. You can do. And I heard that they're starting to reintroduce some river otter down there. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. So that that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, they. That's a very hot topic in Arizona. There's a very interesting book called "Where the Water Goes." Yeah. Did you read that? I have. That's a fascinating book. I, I, the whole part that got me was water law. Mm. I don't mean to get off of Arcasanti. No, I mean, We got a very interesting kind of topic here. Yeah. I, uh, I, I find it and actually, fascinating. I can bring this back to Arcasanti. Okay. You're not wrong. Water law and um, anyone who researches the history of water law in the Southwest, you know, 
you can just see how Arizona got the short end of the stick. Um, but there was no one living out here at the time, so sure. yeah, that was kind of the way these things were decided. Uh, anyway, uh, there was a author, there's a lot of books written about arcology, and a lot of them are science fiction. You know, sci-fi people really like this concept and they like to incorporate it into their books. One was called uh, The Water Knife. It was written, I think it was published two or three years ago now. And uh, The Water Knife has arcologies in it, and it's about an assassin whose job it is to go around and basically assassinate people who are trying to interfere with Arizona's attempts to acquire more water rights. <laughs> Las Vegas got smart. They built this huge arcology, you know, right when all the water started going. Uh, Arizona, Phoenix, uh, it was like struggling to catch up. They tried to build the Chinese arcology and it's not working out very well. It's a really cool it's book. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder who... Oh, it's out the pool. There must be a baby down there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought I was gonna say what what kind of critter in Arizona uh, makes that noise? Yeah, uh, that, that's that's the wild child. Is no. what that is. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. I am just I'm just taking in. I, I like trees. Oh yeah. I, I've lived in Arizona long enough to appreciate a good tree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, this is a, a pistache tree. Oh, is that a pistache tree? Mm -hmm. I've seen them always, the, the red pistache is what they grow down there. Yeah, these will go, uh, actually, not too long from now, these will start changing. And when the leaves change up here on these trees and in with the architecture, it's really pretty cool. So is this a, that's a, that's a great question about uh, sustainability, around sustainability. Mm -hmm. Do you guys grow your own food? Do you, yeah. do you do all that, like nuts and berries? I, you know, I'm just joking, but no, what, what do you guys grow? It's a good question, yeah. So uh, uh, they had an ag program here. They ran agriculture for a long time. And then that agriculture program really struggled uh, for a variety of reasons, the least of which was not having skilled workers who knew what they were doing um, with fields. But we still have two ag fields down there in the valley. And uh, the hope is that we might be able to find someone to partner with, a local farmer who'd be willing to work that land in exchange for, I think, donating food back to the community here and allowing us to run our cafe off of that. In the meantime, uh, what we've got after they realized, okay, agriculture is not going so well, they ended up building a uh, greenhouse down the hill where the community can grow our own food. Oh. And in the past couple of years, we've been doing a lot of what's called permaculture by some people, what's called agroecology, if you're trying to study it in college. Um, but basically it's planting food on the site that people have easy access to that supports both the natural landscape and itself. So we just actually planted a, uh, it's called a food forest down the hill here. Okay. And that food forest has 12 different types of nut and fruit trees in it. And when it rains here, all that water actually gathers in our amphitheater and then we turn on a pump and it sends it down the hill there to irrigate that food forest. So, oh, wow. yeah, it's a way of getting to creatively reuse rainwater on the site. Jeez. Yeah. That's, that's pretty slick. Yeah. I've often said if I could rebuild my house, mm -hmm. I'll put two different tanks underground. Oh, yeah. One for the, because in Phoenix, it supposedly rains nine inches a year on mm -hmm. average and a thousand square foot roof will gather I don't know, someone will fact check me on it, but it's something like a thousand gallons of yeah. water with nine inches of yeah. water falling on it. And so you figure you got a 2,000 square foot house, you can gather about 
20,000 gallons of water in a freshwater tank. You're doing pretty and well then, for yourself. And then transfer all your gray water tanks yeah. into into there and, and water your plants with that. And, yeah. Well, uh, that's what, uh, uh, you know, speak of water, you know, and trying to be better with our water, they say the number one way that you can take your footprint off the water resources in a desert, rainwater catchment. Because that water just goes and flows out into the desert. It never really enters into these aquifers, right? Huh? You can't get underground. Huh? So, uh, yeah, if you switch to rainwater catchment, you're doing the doing the state a great service. And uh, then you don't have to pay for all that water. And what do we as Arizonans love more than not having to pay for things? Right. I can't think of anything. (laughs) Yeah, maybe I'll have to uh, go look at one of those big tanks and put it on the side of my house. Yeah, yeah. We actually, right down here, we have a gray water catchment tank. And all the grass that you see that runs across the site, that's all gray water irrigation. Oh, nice. Yeah, they've got underground um, uh, things built. That was a partnership with a university from Scotland that does a master's degree program here. They helped design that system. So there's a lot of things that you guys are trying to do now. Mm-hmm. A lot of improvements. Solar is one of the things that you mentioned. Uh, some other different improvements. Uh, I, I assume, and I'm, I'm again, you know what happens when you assume. Uh, yeah, you, we make an ass out of you and me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you look okay, though. Yeah, 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 it looks okay, right? <laughs> but uh, you guys are putting the word out there that you're looking for these resources. and Yeah, you know what we're really looking for, I think, right now is partnerships. People who resonate with this message, who can offer, sure. you know, resources, hands. You know, funding's always great. We always could use some money to do what we do here. But... Um, well, the way the most of this work gets done is partnerships. People who have taken interest and see value and see value for themselves in it. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea of finding somebody to help farm the land down there. Yeah. I, I think that that's, uh, that's brilliant. Yeah, and there's this whole illusion that Arcosanti is trying to be sustainable. Number one, the word sustainable doesn't mean anything anymore. When sustainability oh, yeah. means that you don't use plastic straws, I mean, we're at, we're at a dead stop. There. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I, I almost I, It's almost laughable. Uh, yeah, and I almost refuse to even use the word sustainable anymore because I like the idea of regeneration. I like the idea that what we need to be doing actively needs to be leaving the world in better shape than we found it. The status quo isn't good enough, right? Mm. Sure. And so within that... Um, we're not trying to be sustainable. We, in fact, need a lot of help. This place wouldn't exist if people like me didn't come from New York to throw in some time here. Right. And so, uh, yeah, we're, I think, finding and identifying people who can bring skills or can bring resources to the site and who, you know, it needs to be a two-way street, who we can offer something to um, is really meaningful for us and uh, a big part of the way that we hope to continue this project going forward. Nice. How can individuals then support? Obviously, come and take a tour. Do you charge for the tour? The donation? Yeah, it's a it's a suggested donation of fifteen dollars. Um, you know, come here, come to an event, take a workshop. You know, the workshops are a lot of fun. Um, you know, there's also if anyone out there had ideas about what we could or should be doing here, we're always open to listening. My email is just tim at arcosani.org, um, and I'm always happy to respond to just about anyone with inquiries about the site. Um, yeah, I would, I would encourage you just to come pay us a visit and see it for yourself and then, you know, decide for yourself what kind of engagement you'd want to have with the project. Yeah. I'd say it's definitely worth the, the jog off the, the 17. I mean, we've driven past it many a time and you see the kind of the overpass there, you mm-hmm. know, and got the nice 
art decor and everything on you it. You know, that's our art. And I, I assume that. I'm like, yeah. you know what? I got to go check that place out. But yeah. it's been That years, really is so. your art? Yeah, it's about the world's most undercover billboard, right? Because people drive by that and I think, oh, it's really pretty. But uh, they don't realize, yeah, that uh, was, a, a, again, a partnership. And a, partner, a partnership with the Arizona uh, Office of Transportation um, to build an overpass there uh, with Harco Santi's art on it. And we actually have a new one right now on that uh, South Mountain Freeway. Um, they combined oh, yes. on that Frank- new uh, Loop 202. Yeah, they combined some Frank Lloyd Wright designs with some Paulo Soleri designs down there, um, which is maybe the only time those two men will ever agree. But it's, it's locked. <laughs> locked in- well, they're not here to argue about they're it. They're not here to argue about it. Like, uh, yeah, locked in concrete on the South Mountain Freeway. So. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great example. Of, yeah, we try to live carless here as much as possible, but we have cars. We're not like, you know, we'd be yeah. hypocrites if we were like, don't drive cars. Um, but I think, uh, you know, we're trying to encourage thoughtful behavior around those types of things. And so the freeway is a great opportunity to say, hey, you know, here's some of Arco Santi down here. Mm-hmm. Getting the word out, man. Yeah. That's, that's all it is. Getting yeah. the word out. So, arcosanti.org is the website. Arcosanti.org. Tim at arcosanti.org would be my email. Um, and well, What's uh, the phone number if they want to call? Uh, you know, the main line is 928-632-7135. That's general inquiries. My direct line is 928-632-6225. And that'll ring right to my desk. And if you give him a call, tell him you heard about it on the Not So Native podcast so that he'll know that his time with us wasn't just engaging in, in the great conversation, but it, it actually may be helping Arco Sante. Time well spent anyway. <laughs> Regenerate. Yeah, yeah, you guys, that's what you guys are doing. There we go. Yeah. Right. I love it. Drawing love attention it. to Arizona for Arizonans. And, right. And, yeah. you know, we've got a lot of, I say a lot, we and think that we have probably on on average about 40 or 50 downloads out of germany that's great and so we're, we love we're, germans we're, we're excited <laughs> great right? engineers over there we oh, can yeah. have some engineers for sure there we go i wish I, I wish i could say my email in german right but, like, <laughs> so we'll leave it there. that's right most of them are, are, are speaking english these days and that's so true that's yeah good. we're the ones behind on that yeah, yeah, right exactly yeah. we we need to vary our tongue but <laughs> that's a whole nother whole nother episode yeah that would be our society <laughs> too Well, thank you again, Tim, for spending the time with us. We definitely appreciate you making the way. Absolutely. Greatly appreciate it. I think we're going to tour the grounds a bit here and take a look at it. So we appreciate the time. Sounds great. So hello everybody, I'm Gianluca, I'm Italian pianist, and I'll perform tonight. I'll perform some Chopin and Schubert for the Kelly concert here in Arcosanti. How long have you uh, been in the States now? Well, I was in New York uh-huh. um, 
two weeks ago, I had to, the opportunity to, to practice in Steinway Hall in New York. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I started there, and then I, I played the same program in Providence. In Providence? In Providence. Okay. Now, yeah, now I'm, here I am, and tomorrow I, I fly to Mexico. And there. Nice. Yeah. And no, so how did you... Uh, how did you hear about Art Bosante? Did they reach well, out to you, or so, um, a friend of mine talked me and, and about Art Bosante, uh -huh. and because she lived uh, here oh. many years ago, and she is here just around, and uh, she proposed me to to give concerts here for this, and so I I, I talked also with Jeff Stein. I, I'm the Director, the former director, I, know, okay. I think. And uh, now, uh, yeah, we managed. It yeah. was a very long story because it started just two years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so wow, fascinating. Well, how long have you been playing? Well, since I was six. Six? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, hey, thank you very much. No problem. I look forward to thank you. listening okay. to this with great enjoyment. And uh, if you. Uh, do you have a website where people can go buy your yeah, music, yeah, yeah. or wh yeah, yeah. what's your website? Well, if you um, um, write down Gianluca Guida on Jean? Gianluca, you can find my name, I think. There is some process just in that street called Vicolo Primo. Okay. There is my name, uh -huh. so you can write it down. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, if you um, write on Google, you can find me. Okay. Also, uh, YouTube recording. Okay. From what I, I, I play tonight. Okay, fantastic. Well, we'll hopefully engage people to go check out your music there. Yeah. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you for joining us here at the Not So Native Podcast. Be sure to check us out on our website, notsonativepodcast.com, and leave a comment or two. Also, follow us on social media to get the latest update on our adventures. Until next time. Until next time.